Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. This is episode 294 of the Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. On this week's episode, Chase and Joel will take a look at Joker, the least controversial film in the past, I don't know, like 10 years or so, as well as going over the week in movie news and movie trailers. All that more on today's Real Me In. What is going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. I am one of your co-hosts. Chase Lee, and this is a podcast where we talk about movies, and we just join in on the conversation. We break them down for you guys and give you guys the most detailed reviews on the face of the web. If you are uh, new to the show, welcome. Hopefully, we didn't scare you off too much, and um, you know, join this community. We uh, we love uh, when new people kind of join on, and we we hope that you stick around and uh, listen to us for a little bit. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. We always appreciate you guys. And uh, this is episode two hundred and ninety four. Yes. On the road to good old 300, it is getting close, Joseph. Uh, but yes, we will be going over Joker, um, or as Joel likes to p- uh, put it, uh, the least controversial film ever. You know, it, no, no one ever. ever heard about it. Yeah, no one ever heard about it. It just <laughs> kind of flew under the radar and just gracefully entered theaters. And so, yes, we will be going over that. Uh, and, you know, I kind of have kept my... <laughs> My reaction to it, uh, to a minimum, so I don't think Joel knows where I'm going with it, uh, but I do know where Joel's going because <laughs> uh, I can't help myself, and he likes to post stuff on Facebook. So um, it'll be an interesting conversation. I can't wait to dive into it. But yes, uh, that, and of course, with the movie trailers that drop throughout the week, I will be covering, and then Joel will be covering the news. Uh, before I throw it over to the wonderful co-host over there, if you guys could you know, uh, rate this thing, comment, like subscribe whatever you guys have to do to support the show and support this episode or even past episodes we would really appreciate it. you guys are the best spread this around and let people know this is what you like listening to um we just uh we we, we like you we like it for that so joel what is going on over there we are officially in the first week in um october and it is still hotter than you know what uh, in this uh, <laughs> glorious area. Um, luckily, we got a cold front next week. Uh, you, you know uh, Joel's and I's lives are uh, going on a downward spiral, and we're getting old. Uh, when we look forward to weather, like weather updates, and we're just, oh, man, I really hope the, the weather's uh, going to be great today. Um, so that is what our life uh, is consumed by is weather updates and movies, so there you go. Um, but yeah, first week in October, Joel, and uh, you know we just got done doing, uh, you know, I mean you you did one of them, but you know you were still there. You were part of the film festival and stuff, and yeah, so we saw each other last week and all that. But uh, you know, tell uh, I'll tell you what, go ahead and um, let people know like what you know you know what you saw um, at the festival and you know how'd you like it and everything. Not the movie, but like your just experience there and 
what'd you do it again next year? And then uh, tell us how your week was. Right. Well, the movie we saw was Marriage Story. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about it in depth in terms of what we thought. Uh, I will only say that I haven't been thinking about much else. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but it was it was uh it was interesting. I'm I'm really glad that that Dallas Film Society has gotten now a festival in the um in the in the in the I was about to say springtime because they already have one in the springtime, which is the Dallas International Film Festival. Now they have the North Texas one in the fall. I think that it's really, I mean, they're going to, I think that, you know, I was only there for one night. I feel like maybe they got a few kinks to work out um, logistically, but I have to wonder if it's maybe smarter to put it in a different weekend just because, uh, I mean, I don't know where, where else they would put it, but maybe this weekend I, I think might've been a slightly smarter, smarter idea, but, um, yeah, cause it's, because it's, a, it's a week right after uh, fantastic fest. And it's and it was playing exactly as New York Film Festival was starting, which kind of swallows up any sort of buzz that it could build. But but it was a very interesting selection of movies. I think what something like thirty, I think it was something like thirty movies. Yeah, it wasn't uh, maybe, that maybe much, not that but, many, but I, I was still impressed at the amount that they actually got, though. Yeah, and it was only four days long, uh, so it's a sort of a. Um, uh, a tell a Telluride uh, kind of thing. Telluride plays only three or four days, so yeah. I mean, like I said, obviously early stages. This is very much a first year of the film festival kind of thing, at least in terms of my experience. I know that you did two days of it, so um, maybe you could speak to that more. But it's but yeah. I mean, the fact that we were able to watch Marriage Story and the fact that they got a couple of the other big potential hitters in um, acting categories. Alongside that one, Dolomite is my name, and the two popes from Netflix. And it means that they're that they're looking around. They've they've built some uh, some you know um, some contacts already. These would these were movies that were never going to play at the Spring Festival. Um, too far out to build buzz like that. Probably, uh, but neither of them was finished at that point either. So yeah, I mean it's it's going to be interesting to see where it goes from here. This is certainly one to you know, consider uh, uh, taking the weekend off for. I, for some reason, whenever it first came about, I think that I had scanned the the list and uh, of like the first you know movies that they got, and I didn't really see anything high profile. And I also saw mostly revival screenings. So whenever I was whenever I was looking at, it, I was like, oh, this isn't really a high priority. So I didn't really consider, you know taking the weekend off. Otherwise I would have done that whenever I saw that there were actually some really interesting movies happening. And of course, then they, then they added some at the last minute and that would have been even better. So I probably should have actually done the whole thing, but you know, alas, I didn't do that. And, um, you know, maybe next year, maybe next year. So anyway, and you're, you're talking about, uh, this week. I mean, yeah, it's been really warm. I'm heading out to Williamsburg, Virginia for a week. So that's why I won't be, uh, on the podcast next Friday, but, or whenever you do it. Um, but yeah, in Williamsburg right now it is 68 degrees. <laughs> so, and by the time we get there, which I mean, we'll be settling in, you know, Monday night, it'll be, uh, looks like 59 degrees i'm looking at the weather forecast right now for williamsburg and yeah uh it's i'm just going out there for to get away we're going to be in the middle of nowhere basically in williamsburg 
And uh, I'll be seeing Jim and I, man. But other than that, I'm just going to be doing various activities in, in the town and hanging out with my parents and just taking taking some time off, de-stressing. So, um, yeah, so that'll be nice. As for this week, not super eventful. Um, just watching the shows that I watch with my parents. Um Moving through the practice with them, Madam Secretary again. I decided on the on a whim. Oh, I did watch the last several episodes of Breaking Bad last weekend, just in preparation for El Camino coming out, which I won't watch. I won't be able to watch when it lands because I'll be gone. But uh, and I don't think that I'll have access to Netflix. But when I come back, I will definitely be watching that and reviewing it for you guys because it's. Uh, or for my website at least, because it's – I'm really excited. Uh, just watching the last few episodes got me pumped. So um, I think kind of catching up, you know, the last few potential 10 worst contenders. My top, my <laughs> my list of the 10 worst has blown up, um, but I'm done with it. Um, I had a few more to, to see, but I'm giving up on it since I'm leaving. And uh, when I get back, it's all about – catching up with potential 10 best contenders that I definitely know will not be sent by screener to chase. Uh, they're smaller, a little more obscure titles. Um, you know, like, uh, there's one that actually opened today that I've heard really good things about, except for, from our friend Mark, which is uh, a documentary about the making of alien that I've heard really good things about. Um, that's one of them that I'll be get, that I'll be catching up with a couple of Netflix titles like Paddleton with, uh, Mark Duplass and Ray Romano. And then um, The Edge of Democracy, which is a documentary about Jair, uh, Jair Bolsonaro, um, who's the Brazilian president, really, really controversial figure, sort of the Trump figure over there. Uh, you know, so stuff like that. Uh, there's a lot more. I think there's like 20 or something that I'll, that I'll be planning to see over the next couple of months before we make our lists, check them twice and what and what have you. I guess I can't make that reference yet, but yeah. Anyway, it's just kind of heating up. I I can't believe that we're you know six away from 300, and I can't believe that we're <laughs> we're less than 90 days from a new decade. Um, I think it's I think it's less than 90 days by now. So and yeah, you are about a month away from turning 30. I I am. I'm going to turn 30 and immediately die. It's yeah, it's yeah, yeah. That's how that's how life. Gonna goes. just drop dead. Yeah. Uh, so I, it's it, sort of like I mean, it's it's basically my birthday is going to be that that gif of the old woman who's trying to blow out her birthday <laughs> candles and accidentally blows out her um uh her dentures. It's it's great. Uh, it's the greatest gif of all time. Every single time. Oh God! Just I, picturing you with dentures would be hilarious. Because uh, <laughs> I hope I make it to 102, which is the age of that woman in the in the gift. But the um, yeah, whenever I <laughs> so you know I went to a school that was fairly small, and so I know a lot of the youngest people that went there just because you know it, it was a small school. So every time one of those people that I knew when they were much younger than me, when they were like you know. I don't know, nine whenever I was graduating high graduating high school because I went to a strange school that way. I went to one that was from uh, first grade to, to 12th grade. Every time I see one of those people turn like 20 or whatever I and, and it's their birthday, 
uh, well, not every time, but sometimes I will, because I'm friends with them on here on Facebook, I will, I will post that on the wall. I, I'll just say, you know, you're old, stop it. <laughs> and, uh, and so anyway, yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. I feel, I feel ancient guys I feel ancient. So, yeah, well, so and you're, the, and you're only a couple of months behind me. Well, so. well, that's what I was going to address to people is that, you know, don't get your hopes up uh, in continuing the podcast next year because once Joel withers away after his thirtieth birthday, I, I will, I, I will grief, I, I will uh, uh, just bask in sadness while Joel is gone, and then two months later, I'm going to turn thirty. I will also die, and you guys will get no more episodes. <laughs> so that's how it's going to go. Uh, just giving you guys a heads up. But <laughs> yeah, uh, um, yeah, it's scary, scary times. Uh, yeah. For for this week, uh, I I love fall TV guys, and I watch so much uh, uh, TV and stuff. Uh, as you guys know, it's Gemstones, This Is Us, South Park, uh, It's Always Sunny, uh, American Horror Story. It just I love it. I just uh, absolutely love this time of year. Uh, I did start uh, today, <laughs> and uh, uh, when our friend Brian listens to this episode, you know he and I uh, we 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 watch this show. Um, uh, ever since its inception, uh, Big Mouth, the the Nick Kroll animated show is it, it is one of the dirtiest things I, I have ever seen <laughs> in media. Uh, and the fact that it's on Netflix or even just anywhere for people to watch is just insane. Um, it's about middle schoolers just growing up with their sexuality, and uh, it's animated, so they can do a lot more. Uh, but yeah, finished like half of season three because it dropped today on Netflix, and uh, it's. It's it's some of the hardest uh, moments I, I've laughed at this week, and uh, you know it's always sunny. Laugh at South Park. It just it was such a joyous week, especially with all the uh, stuff going on in uh, uh, our country. That is for sure. So it, it was a, a nice little. Uh, what do you mean? It was a completely uneventful. Oh, right, 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 right. Uh, completely, uh, just absolutely <laughs> no major normal. political scandals uh, going on right now. <laughs> Nothing. No, absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure everyone that uh, is doesn't live in this country that listens to us is just like. They probably had to pray for us every week. They're just like, oh, my God, I don't even know what's going on over there. Like, the whole country's going to burn uh, by next week. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, gosh. Yeah, just a bunch of TV shows. Just catch up with that. I'm really excited to uh, – uh, maybe I'll have, like, an update for you guys uh, on next week's show since I'm by myself and I got to pat out the time. But they did drop that uh, In the Tall Grass um, movie on Netflix today as well, the Stephen King novella. Uh, where a bunch of people get lost in tall grass near a farm and they start to have delusions and it looks really cool. I love psychological thrillers um, where people just go crazy in one location. Give it to me. Give it to me now. Uh, it's one of my favorite kind of sub genres of uh, uh, film. So um, yeah, uh, maybe I'll watch that and uh, have that review for you guys next week. But um, uh, let's see. I don't got any like uh, other reviews for you guys next week. I'm seeing the lighthouse, but I can't review that until the end of the month anyways. So yeah, it's just going to be Gemini man <laughs> and maybe a Netflix movie. So yeah, not really uh, much going on, but uh, there was a lot going on in the world of trailers and uh, all vastly different. And I'm excited to uh, kind of jump into them. Uh, one of them, um, you know, I'll discuss that one last because I'm going to uh, do them in the order that I saw them this week. But one of them, uh, Joel was really impressed by the um, color yes. in, in the movie. Like he, he said it was one of the best uses of color in film this year. <laughs> and I, I will 
I'll get to that in and a I'll second. And also, I'll also explain why I watched it, because I am avoiding most trailers, but I did watch this one. Um, and I'll explain why once we get there. Right. It, it will be the the last one uh, that, that we discussed. Oh, oh! before we get into the trailers, I, I had this written down on my notes, and I totally forgot. So sometimes I get um, – I'll get, like, special invites from, like, really small companies – They'll be like they'll they'll catch wind that I'm a part of like a a, a a critic association or like they see my YouTube channel and they see that like I do all these smaller films and stuff and so some of them will reach out to me and be like hey can you watch this movie or like if you want access to it just let me know and of course uh, the two infamous ones that I've done so far I've fallen into the Dinesh D'Souza trap twice which is fine with me because. Um, uh, it gets me views on my channel, so I'll take it. Uh, but I do get a lot of uh, <clears throat> a lot of comments on those. But it, <laughs> this was almost like a D- Dinesh D'Souza trap. But uh, I am definitely not taking this one because I do not want to. I don't have the mental capacity to uh, uh, have that type of uh, comment section again, which I probably will on my Joker review tomorrow. But whatever. Um, this one's called No Safe Spaces, and it's a documentary that has Adam Carolla, like Tim Allen, and a bunch of other kind of conservative voices um like celebrities and it's about freedom of speech and how uh the right feels like they're being silenced and i was like i think i'm good i think i'm gonna skip this one i heard i heard about this yeah yeah so i'm I'm not gonna i'm not gonna fall down that trap uh good sir and i really hope they reached out to mark because mark is gonna take it because he does this for a living so i hope he watches it i don't know he <clears throat> he hasn't done. I don't think he's reviewed any of those Dinesh D'Souza movies. He's watched two of them or something, but yeah, with stuff like that, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll definitely uh, reach out to him. Well, to the reason why I want that, the reason why I want Mark to do it is because when I see any of these movies, and I'm not speaking from a biased standpoint, I'm just talking like, "Hey, this is what the film is. It's a garbage film because it's, it's put together very poorly." And so when I put my opinion out there. People on whatever side that is on, they just attack me, and it is it is crazy to watch, right? It is just a bloodbath in those comment sections. What I want Mark to watch these types of movies because he's he's smarter than I am, and he 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 does the written word, and so I feel like if he were to tear a movie apart like this. He would do it in a very, like, Oxford Dictionary manner and, like, throw out all these, like, big words where people are going to read this, get angry, and, like, they don't know what they're getting angry about. And I, I have a feeling that he would completely just troll them and just, like, um, write something they can't understand. It, it would be hilarious. Uh, but I want, I want Mark to do that. So, anyways, I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, so, I will not be reviewing that. <laughs> so, the first movie to drop and have a trailer this week, uh, I'm really excited for this one. It comes out... January 24th of next year, so I think like a week after Bad Boys for Life, and this is The Gentleman. This one comes from uh, Styx and is directed by Guy Ritchie, written by him as well, going back to his old school roots of like uh, Lockstock, Snatch, um, e- even Rock and Rolla to some some degree. You know, the uh, really kind of energetic uh, British mobs mob movies. Uh, that's what that's what his uh, mo is. But this one is about a, a very British drug lord that tries to sell off his highly profitable empire to a dynasty of Oklahoma billionaires. 
Uh, yes, you read that right. And I believe one of the Oklahoma billionaires is played by Matthew McConaughey. So there you go. It also stars Charlie Hunnam, uh, Michelle Dockery, uh, Jeremy Strong, uh, Colin Farrell, Henry Golding, which is really cool to see, uh, Hugh Grant. Um, those are kind of the A-list people. But it looks fun. It looks like Guy Ritchie is getting back to what he does best. Uh, I, I love Snatch. It's a fun movie to watch. And I really hope it's not family-friendly and going for that R rating because let me tell you, PG Guy Ritchie ain't working for me. I'm talking to you, Aladdin. So uh, if we could just, like, uh, untie the, the shackles off of him um, and let him run free, it would be fantastic. And this this movie looks like it's going to deliver. So, yeah, there's really nothing more to add. It's, it's a wonderful cast. Uh, seeing Hugh Grant... And Matthew McConaughey in particular in a Guy Ritchie film and speaking his dialogue is perfect. It, when you see them in context in the trailer, it just works. And I never would have thought in a million years that McConaughey would be a good pick for one of his movies. But when you see his character, you see him just kind of – it's almost like his Wolf of Wall Street character um, and speaking that type of dialogue at that type of pace – it just it kind of reminds me of that, and I'm all for that because that was a really fun role for him. So the gentleman from Guy Ritchie comes out uh, next January. I am going to give that a definite stamp of approval. The next one, uh, and I'm finally excited to say this, uh, Joel. Cause I, I know you've been waiting for me to say it like in full on air, live and in person. The next trailer uh, that dropped was for Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Okay, um, so that comes out uh, next February. Um, you know, uh, this one kind of follows Harley Quinn, and she joins up with, like, Black Canary and a bunch of other kind of uh, uh, female superheroes in the DC realm. This is based on a comic line. I don't know anything about that, uh, so I, I don't know what the actual... Uh, storylines or those things are or like who's actually in them but that's kind of like what this is and they have to fight a um i think it's who is it it's just an evil crime lord uh i'm pretty sure oh black mask uh, there you go from uh he played uh played by uh ewan mcgregor so this one uh stars uh, margot robbie as harley quinn uh Mar mary elizabeth winstead is also in this which is awesome like i said ewan mcgregor is the villain um uh, yeah, Chris uh, Messina is really uh really cool. He's in this. Uh, what was that Ali Wong, Rosie Perez? I mean, yeah, it's it's you know it's got a pretty good uh pretty good cast there. Uh, using a lot of uh actresses that aren't really familiar with people, which is great because this will put them on a bigger platform. Um, but this one is directed by Kathy uh Yan. Is that how you do that, Joel? Yeah, Kathy Young. Yes, uh, and she was the director of Dead Pigs, and I know that that was at the film festival. Uh, it was at the film festival last year or this year, uh, the Dallas one, and uh, you and I just we, we didn't catch that one. But um, Okay, so here's the deal with this one, is that first of all, I hate the title. Just stop it. You're not Birdman. Uh, second of all, I don't like Suicide Squad. I've seen it more times than I would like to admit. Uh I just don't care for it. And so when I heard about that they were going to do this and go in this direction with Harley Quinn and all these other superheroes and stuff, I'm like, I don't really 
like on the surface it doesn't seem like it's a bad idea i just it's the stigma of harley quinn and having her being in this knowing that she was in suicide squad and not merely me caring about that so i think that's where my connection kind of comes from is just it's, it's literally just harley quinn because of her connection to the other terrible movie i'm like i don't want to see her as the central focus in this one i gotta tell you I like the trailer. I, I don't know what it was about it, but I, I enjoyed it. it. It captures the um, the colorful pop of Suicide Squad for sure, but I thought it was definitely a better edited trailer that sold me on a uh, more coherent film, a better shot film. The action looks uh, better for sure. It It's also playing into like the Looney Tunes aspect of uh, Harley Quinn, and I'm cool with that. Yeah, it, I think it was a... A pretty solid trailer that uh, for a movie that I was not excited for, I think uh, kind of uh, raises it up for me. So I will give it the benefit of the doubt and um, say it kind of won me over. So I'm not like jumping up and down for it, but the trailer gave me, I guess, a better look at it than what I thought it was going to be. So uh, it, it got me a little bit more excited. Was this not the one you're going to bring up last? No. Oh, because this was the one that I watched. And <laughs> oh, I thought so you were talking about Richard Jewell. Oh, no, no. I, ha- <laughs> I haven't seen that trailer. Um, oh, man, I'm losing it, guys. Uh, okay, uh, Joel, let's go ahead and start with this one as the second one. Uh, so, uh, did this... Okay, first of all, I have to ask you, did this play in front of Joker? It did. So, it did. what's weird is that it did not play in front of my Joker screening. That's weird. It was literally the only one that Warner Brothers didn't play. They played Richard Jewell, something else, and something else. And I was like, okay, I guess Birds of Prey is going to be the last one, and nothing. I was like, yeah, it, that was weird. This, see, that's so weird. They didn't play uh, um, Richard Jewell in front of mine. So, yeah, I don't know. That's a <laughs> weird mix. Um, but, yeah, this is – I mean, I had seen this before I saw Joker I because I was curious um, – for a very specific reason, and that reason is because every single bit of next year's superhero content is directed by a woman. So you have Birds of Prey from Kathy Yan, you have Black Widow from uh, Kate Shortland, Wonder Woman 1984 from Patty Jenkins, um, and then Eternals from... Chloe Zhao, and also every single episode. I forgot her name. I didn't look it up, and I don't remember it. But every single episode of the cat of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is going to be directed by the same person, and that person is a, is a woman. I I'll look that up right now. But um, uh, but yeah. So I was just curious, and I th- and I had made the decision. You know what? I'm just gonna do it. I'm just going to uh, kind of uh you know, bite the bullet and watch the trailers for these things because I'm just curious how this stuff is going to look. And, um, yeah, so it looks fantastic. I am looking up, hold on. I'm kind of looking up the, I'm looking up the director guys. Give me a, give me a second. It didn't, it took, it took me to the Marvel page. Um, aha. Okay. Uh, Okay, so the showrunner for Falcon and the Winter Soldier is Malcolm Spellman. But the director 
could have sworn that was listed here. Of course, showrunner and director means different things. Showrunner oversees everything. Director actually is on. Okay, here it is. Uh, Carrie Scogland, who has done work on a bunch of stuff. Um, Nosferatu, The Handmaid's Tale, The Punisher, House of Cards, Walking Dead, Vikings, Boardwalk Empire, um, The L Word. Yeah, so really solid TV director taking on you know a big TV pro- uh, um, uh, project for for Disney Plus. So all of these things are are being directed by women, which is kind of amazing because that's never happened and there's never there's uh um uh i think that this is kind of the really the first year for you know you had captain marvel with half being directed by a woman and now you have this year of of all of that so i was just curious you know how are these going to look and man this this trailer i thought was terrific i don't think it's just solid and okay i think it's a really really good well-constructed trailer shows a lot of uh a lot of strong violence this is clearly going to be rated r i think um i think that it highlights the personalities of all of these different people it basically makes the whole thing look very very attractive and um and fun and the colors pop um the visual effects look really good the humor lands i think um all all the just different kinds of you know, with Robbie's performance in particular, looks looks really magnetic. Looks like there's a screenplay here that's that's probably going to service her character well, rather than whatever they were trying to do last time. And um, and so, you know, I mean, obviously, if you're gonna think about it in terms of a what did they do last with this character, it was Suicide Squad, and it wasn't good. I mean, it was really bad. It was on my bottom ten that year, but this is a different movie it's a different director and it looks to be a different situation with at least to me with the studios there's obviously i mean you know there was reshoots of course there's reshoots every time one of these is made but um but this one just looks stronger it looks like a more interesting villain you know i have i have a logistical question with it which is the fact that if joker like one of the things brought up in the trailer is that joker and harley quinn have broken up and the big question mark in my mind is but wouldn't he kill her because she's she knows things about him, which I don't know what they're going to do with that uh, particular plot point. They obviously have to paper over Jared Leto's absence from the project. But yeah, other than that, it's I think that it's an excellent trailer, and I think that there's a really interesting visual. Um, there's a really interesting aesthetic that they're setting up, which looks a lot more colorful. I think that they're they're cashing in on the um, not cashing in they're they're fulfilling sort of the they're uh, they're jumping in on there we go the the um uh the momentum from something like shazam and aquaman both of which looked great looked a lot better than any of the previous movies and uh yeah i i just i think that this is a really strong really strong look uh for this so anyway and of course i'll be you know talking again about the the um the black widow trailer when that comes out and everything else that that comes out so i'm assuming we don't get anything for um wonder woman until probably star wars maybe even later than that 
um, Black Widow, I think that we're probably going to get something in front of, we might get something in the next couple of weeks in front of um, Maleficent, maybe maybe Frozen. I don't know about Frozen. I think Maleficent. So anyway, I'm just I, I I'm think, just really interested. Yeah, uh, I think uh, they're going to drop all. the first Wonder Woman trailer in front of Birds of Prey because Birds of Prey is the uh, the the newbie, and I feel like they're going to want to push that until February, and then once February kind of hits and it comes out that weekend, I think they're going to explode with the first uh, maybe Wonder Woman maybe so. It feels like a little bit of narrow thing because um, Wonder Woman comes out in June, so that's only what four months. Um, right. and I feel like, I feel like maybe they won't, maybe they won't compress it that much, but, uh, if anything, a full trailer, maybe I feel like they'll probably tease it. Yeah. Te- teaser for sure. Yeah. But I, and, like, I, um, like I said, I, I wasn't interested, uh, in this movie whatsoever, but this trailer kind of won me over and I don't, there was a, a couple people online that was just kind of reading their reactions to the trailer through the comments and stuff. And. I was just really confused by some of them saying it was just a bad trailer. The humor didn't land. It didn't feel like it was Harley Quinn. I'm like, no, that was definitely the same uh, Harley Quinn that we got. Um, but she's in a different movie, as Joel said. And it just, it works in this environment. They're still having the kind of visual aesthetic from Suicide Squad for sure. But it's a completely different movie, completely different uh, vibe. And I, I'm digging the vibe. And... If this one and I great. would and I would actually argue that it's that it's not the same visual aesthetic as Suicide Squad. Now there's there's a similar leaning into oranges and browns and stuff, but I think that there that here it's a lot brighter. Suicide Squad was almost constantly oppressively dark. I thought um, this looks brighter and, and maybe not as bright as something like Shazam. It looks like most of this takes place at night, <laughs> so that's probably going to explain some of that. Shazam took took place during the day for most of its uh, uh, runtime. See, I, um, I, I, need I to think watch, it looks brighter. I, I need I, I need to watch Suicide Squad again because, like, I I guess I'm just picturing my experience with it being the same. But uh, but then again, I try to like block that movie out of my memory, so I guess it was better for everybody. But um, if this movie is uh, in, anywhere good that, uh, than what we think it's going to be, then my excitement for the Suicide Squad is going to grow even greater just because um, you got James Gunn involved. You got, uh, you still have Harley Quinn coming back with a bunch of new, new people. And if this one's great, it's going to springboard off into that one. And that's going to kill it for Warner brothers. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping for some good stuff, but um, that was the big, big trailer that dropped this week. And guys, you know, I've been doing uh, 294 episodes of this uh, this show, and you know, Joel has done a uh, a sim- significant amount as well. And it wouldn't be a real me and Cole movie podcast if there weren't a Nicolas Cage trailer to talk about. And you know, that's like that's my boy. I have to like discuss any movie that he comes out with, and I think I have made that clear <laughs> with you guys. Whenever he drops a new trailer, I just gotta discuss it. Uh, so the next one is Primal. I I don't even know where to begin. So this one is about a big game hunter for zoos who has booked um uh who has booked passage on a Greek shipping uh freighter uh, uh train with a fresh haul of exotic and deadly animals from the Amazon, including a rare white jaguar, along with a political assassin being extradited to the U.S. in secret. Two days into the journey, the assassin escapes and releases the captive animals 
uh, throwing <laughs> throwing the the ships <laughs> into, into chaos. Guys, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, the the trailer opens up with Nicolas Cage going, uh, don't touch my cat or, like, be careful with my cat uh, as he's, like, yelling at someone from a dock. Um, it just – this is perfect Nicolas Cage because he absolutely looks insane in this movie. Uh, this movie looks like a, a really cool, like, 90s throwback movie that Nicolas Cage would do. And the effects – are like a, a really bad '90s movie. All the animals that are like flying at people look like a, uh, like a dream, a dream uh, works. No, a dream works. A, um, a Dreamcast, Dreamcast uh, graphics. Uh, it, they look really terrible, but it looks like a blast. Once again, I, I don't even give a crap that he's doing these movies within like two days, uh, and then going on to the next set, and these movies get done uh, after two weeks of shooting and editing. I, I want I, I just want to ha- have a Nicolas Cage movie to look forward to um, every single week, and this one looks like a, an absolute delight. So, Primal uh, from uh, Nicolas Cage, November eighth. Check it out. And the last trailer uh, I want to discuss is Richard Jewell, uh, and you're probably thinking, like, did I just like name some actor that no one's ever heard of? Nope, it's the title of a movie. So this one tells a story of American security guard Richard Jewell uh, as he heroically saves thousands of lives from an exploding bomb at the 1996 Olympics but is unjustly uh, vilified by journalists and the press who falsely report that he was a terrorist. Um, it's directed by Clint Eastwood, and I'm surprised that Warner Brothers still gives him money to do stuff. Uh, and that's actually not a dig at Clint Eastwood. It's the fact that his past movies have not been doing very well. Uh, critically or financially, so I, I get that he's a legend, but you got to come off at some point. Um, so yeah, so this one uh, tells tells that story uh, right, and in the trailer, it's really funny because it says, you know, based on the like 1996 event, like you will know the truth, you will know his name. And I will guarantee you that 90% of the people didn't even know this was a thing. And, and, uh, and you would be wrong. I I didn't know it you, was a thing. And oh, oh, well, you didn't, but it's it was an I mean, it's 1996. We were 6 years old. Right, but it I, was I just huge. Okay, so let, let me let me huge. let me rephrase my my sentence then. I don't hear a lot of people talking about it in terms of like big events like like a 9/11 or something of that caliber oh, in our lifetimes. It wasn't as big as 9-11. It basically it happened in the same period of time when, I mean, I, here's, the, I heard about it way after it happened, of course, because again, we were six and, and so it didn't get the play that something like OJ's trial did, but it happened in that same period of time where, uh, it, it basically the tabloid media circus, you know, era, with John Bonet and OJ and uh, anything else that you want to name from the 90s, Princess Diana's death, anything that basically took over the media airwaves and and all of that. It happened in there. I, I don't know if it got as much airplay as those, but trust me when I say that the, the central audience of this movie is going to absolutely know what it is. In fact... My dad loves this trailer. Um, he knew about it immediately because he knew the name. And 
yeah, this was this was a big story for ninety six for ninety six, and it was, um, it was crazy. Went went national, nationwide. Everybody in America had a, had an opinion on Richard Jewell being the culprit of the crime. And by the time, you know, I don't want to give anything away, but it's a true story. Uh, by the time they found out that it that it wasn't him, that it was this other guy, uh, his life was ruined. So. Yeah, no, I I understand that you know you wouldn't know about it. Trust me, it's it's a it's a well known it's a well known story, uh, in the in the long in the long term on a on a on a much larger scale than the two of us, um, people people know people know who Richard Jewell was. Uh, he died, but um, he was because he was not in good shape, and he was in he was just he was a he was in terrible terrible uh, physical and medical shape, but. Yeah, this was this was a big this is one of those big tabloid news stories. Uh, <laughs> anyway, in well, that period I, of time when when tabloid news stories were were kind of the thing to learn about before the really kind of before the days of of Internet Explorer and all of that, um, and people were following stuff on TV. I mean, a few years after after people followed the OJ chase and trial. It was this, and then it was something else. I mean, it, it, you know, they 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 shifted a lot. Tanya Harding, uh, a few years before this. So yeah, I mean, around that time, this was this is big. This is big. So anyway, just well, wanted to. I clear apologize for my ignorance. Uh, anyone that is below the age of thirty has probably never heard of this. Uh, everyone above the age of thirty has probably heard of this. Yeah. Um, anyways, star Sam Rockwell, uh, or Rockwell, excuse me. Uh, I'm just off my game tonight. Uh, Olivia Wilde, John Hamm, Kathy Bates, uh, and who, there was one other big name, but the the important one is the uh, Richard Jewell uh, uh, character. And I'm so glad that this guy is getting a front and center uh, movie like this because he absolutely deserves it. Paul Walter Hauser. This guy has been one of my favorite character actors in movies over the past few years. He just kind of pops up, and you see him, and you're like, yeah, he was in the movie from, like, last year. Um, and he just – he absolutely kills it. He was in I, Tanya as one of the goons. Absolutely hilarious. He also played a racist goon in Black Klansman from last year, um, and he was excellent in that movie. So I'm so glad that uh, someone took a chance on him. He was in he was in late night Super Troopers two right. Uh, he was on an episode of Superstore. I haven't gotten to that one apparently. Uh, but that's what I'm uh, saying though. Like he just pops up. Yeah, in everything. he just shows like... up and stuff. He's a regular role in Cobra Kai. Uh, he's a regular role on this series Kingdom um, with uh, Frank Grillo, which was short lived. But yeah, he was he was on there. He was on. Um, let's see. He was on an episode of It's Sunny. It's Always Sunny. Um, yeah, uh, the dude the dude has only been really acting majorly since 2010 or so, but he he comes in, he shows up and he and he really makes a, an impression. And he's going to be in Cruella. Um, right, and once as, again playing a goon. Uh, yes, so exactly. he's really Horace. great at playing yeah. goons. Uh yes, my, exactly. My my first uh introduction to him was I Tanya where I noticed him and I was like Hey, it was pretty good in that role. And then, like you said, Super Troopers 2, I watched that on the plane. I was like, there he is, Black Klansman. There he is. It's like late night. There he is. He's just popping up. And so I can't believe, you know, a guy that's only been acting in this short amount of time already has a lead role like this um, 
which is based on a true story. So it's even better as your first kind of lead role. And what's even scarier is that he's only four years older than Joel and I, and we look like babies compared to him. And uh, he's going to be in the next Spike Lee movie too, Defive Defy Bloods. Uh, he's got a oh, role nice. in that. So, yeah, and that one's got a stacked cast. Giancarlo Esposito, Chadwick Boseman, Jean Renault. Yeah, uh, so this guy is really making an impact. Clearly has a really great manager and an agent with the right connections to get him into the into into something like this role you know well it's like you said uh, like he richard jewell is a very he's a very specific body type very specific look and so they're obviously gunning for that that look and so he kind of he fits that perfectly and Mm -hmm. so it's just you have to wait for the right role to kind of fall in your lap like that but yeah great timing on their part but as far as the actual trailer goes uh because joel joel and i were we were (laughs) discussing this uh, what was it yesterday or two days ago about the uh the wonderful color scheme that Clint Eastwood has been using for like for the past ten years, copy and paste style on his movies. Um, it, yeah, it's it's definitely a lot of greens, a lot of grays. Uh, he he just loves those colors, man. Um, but yeah, as far as the actual trailer goes, I I, I like it. Um, if you were to ask me, you know, would you be excited for uh, a new Clint Eastwood movie? I'd probably say no, just because. Uh, uh, 15 to 17 to Paris made my eyes hurt. Um, but I'm willing to give him shots because he can churn out a good one every now and then this could be it. It looks like a nice little, you know, based on real life story thriller. Um, you know, it, it is relevant to, to, uh, today in terms of, uh, people getting framed, uh, by social media or, you know, news outlets like really quickly on, certain cases or certain uh, events when, you know, trials haven't been taken. And so people already get bastardized on the internet and um, their name is dragged through the mud. And that was kind of like with this guy with the whole, you know, just once again, uh, uh, Joel didn't say, it, I'm not going to say it. Uh, if you don't want to really know anything in the trailer, don't read up on this story. Cause it, it, it is pretty crazy. But uh, as far as the actual trailer goes, it looks like a standard little thriller, um, but I'm willing to check it out. Because um, it, it, it was uh, a nice little piece of marketing that gave me hope again in Clint Eastwood. And I want to see Paul Walt, uh, Walter Hauser um, finally in a lead role. So, yeah, I I, I give this one a, a, a approval as well. I think it was a, a solid week for trailers. I mean, there wasn't really anything that, like, made me angry or, like, super excited about. But I was like, you know what, Hollywood? I'll give it to you. This was a, a pretty good week. Uh so Joel, I, I know you saw Birds of Prey, but uh, is there in anything that sticks out? I mean, I'm I'm just really excited for Richard Jewell. I think that you know, obviously the fifteen seventeen to Paris was a major misstep. I think that he didn't have the right approach and he made all the wrong decisions on the road to that one. But the Mule was a really good bounce back. Uh, I know you didn't see that one, but um, it's on the HBO. I, I, need, I need I need to. <laughs> yeah, it's way way better, and it actually I've seen it twice. I saw it once in theaters and and have seen it once since then because Dad owns it, and it really it's it's even better on second viewing. It's very tense, very well acted. Um, it was it felt to me like he I know that he definitely shot them at different times, but it definitely felt like me to me like in terms of the development of the projects, he paid way more way closer attention to this to the Mule than to the fifteen seventeen of Paris. Um, 
you know, he obviously made both within a span of six months <laughs> because that's what he does these days. But still, yeah, for, uh, for a man that's 150 years old, he has yes. more energy than Joel and I combined. <laughs> Realistically, he's actually turning 90 next year, which is insane to me. And uh, yeah, it's but I'm definitely interested in that. I, uh, I, I just I'm just tickled that he got it into the to the Oscar season because this definitely puts. I think Sam Rockwell on alert almost for best supporting actor because of the fact that he's won and also the fact that he's in this and Jojo Rabbit. So would, would you like gonna... would you like to know speaking of uh, Rockwell would you like to know who was originally suppo- supposed to play the uh, attorney in this one? Who? Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, and that's right. Okay. He, he dropped out but he stayed on as a producer which makes sense. Okay. He's worked with Eastwood before. And then guess right. who was supposed to play uh, uh, Hauser's role? Wasn't it Jonah Hill? Yes, sir. So yeah. that would have been an interesting Wolf of Wall Street reunion there. <laughs> that would have been. That would have been very uh, uh, comparatively low energy. Um, <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street reunion, of course. A, little, a few things matched the energy of the Wolf of Wall Street. Um but I yeah. don't know, man. Clint Eastwood pumping out three movies a year. It's like That's true. he's That's working true. on the same level as Marty. So <laughs> That's true. He's 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 making more movies than Marty is these days. <laughs> Which is crazy. Literally, he's literally. like 20 years older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Literally, Martin Scorsese. Okay. He, <laughs> he made Silence, right? Came out in 2016. Now he's got The Irishman coming out in 2019. Since 2016, we've had Sully... <laughs> 1517 to Paris, the mule and this. And I and I'm pretty sure he's he's on to directing something else. Like really soon, in fact. So yeah, the dude is just unstoppable. All right. So this week's news brings good news right here at the top. There's really not much to say about this, but it does bring a big news story to conclusion, and that is the fact that Spider-Man is back in the MCU. Uh the negotiations were ongoing between Sony and Disney, of course. Um so we want to, I guess, not reverse everything that we said because, of course, at some point in the story, it was true that Spider-Man was out. But the negotiations continued, and it actually came to a head because of D23. So here's the story. Basically, Bob Iger was um, was talking about this, I think, on Jimmy Kimmel. I haven't seen the clip, but I have read the uh, the transcript of his, of his statement. And basically, he said that after D23 happened, um, or after a presentation of the movie onward happened in which holland is a voice alongside chris pratt holland uh approached some people who work for bob Iger and asked for his email and his phone number and was desperate to get in touch with them of course bob Iger, one of the most powerful men in the world um was was very protected and that's what he actually said he's very protected but he said yeah sure have him call me so they got in touch and um, and essentially Tom Holland made it happen. So they were able to, uh, to write down a deal for one more standalone movie. Now this doesn't mean that he won't, uh, appear in something else, um, for the MCU. He might, he might make an appearance somewhere along the line, but in terms of his own movies, there's going to be only one more. And that is going to come out in 2021. As I predicted, I knew that they would do that. Now they have to hurry it into uh, into development and shoot it. But um, so it may it may get delayed. I don't know. 
But I, but I, but I suspected this from the start. Do you remember Chase when we were talking about the the dates for stuff? I noticed a big gap in 2021, and I said, I bet you anything that Sony puts uh, Spider-Man right here in July, because or June or whenever it's coming out, because it's perfect. It's the perfect time. They just made you know a bunch of money with Far From Home in that exact release date. So I knew that this would happen. Really, really happy to hear this, and that's the first bit of news. So. <clears throat> All right. Um, I'm going to do next. Okay. This one made Chase and I very happy. So earlier this year, for the very first time, I was able to see Clerks and Clerks 2. Um, the, you know, Clerks was kind of the big breakthrough and debut for Kevin Smith. Clerks 2 was, for me, I'm, I'm, I know that I'm probably to some people – stating a um a heresy right here um as great as clerks was clerks 2 was the far superior uh sequel and one of the funniest movies i have ever seen um <clears throat> better than most comedies and clerks 3 is happening so of course brian O'Halloran, O'Halloran is returning he was probably always going to be returning but the big question mark whether uh, about this was whether or not jeff anderson who plays the other um lead character was going to return too because he is uh, notorious. I think that he's like downright reclusive. He's notoriously, you know, he doesn't he doesn't work a lot <laughs> other than with Kevin Smith. Uh, so that was the big question: was whether or not Jeff Anderson would return. And Kevin Smith made it happen. Clerks three is happening. I couldn't be happier. These two movies are absolutely hysterical, um, vulgar vulgar masterpieces, and I and I just. Love it. I can't wait to see this. And, uh, yeah, so that is the next bit of news. We don't really know more about it, of course. Uh, it's just going to continue the story, <laughs> and it's probably going to be all extremely random. These movies are not about plot. They're about random, you know, set of events. So since then, I have uh, watched Dogma, and I love Dogma. Dogma's amazing. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of Smith. I haven't seen everything yet, but... Um, huge, huge fan. So I think Chasing Amy is my next one. I may very well watch that this weekend. So uh, on uh, or during my um, my drive down to uh, Williamsburg, I might I might very well bring along Chasing Amy. So um, yeah. So that's next. Okay, this quick bit, very very quick. Apparently, it's going to be a re- reinvention of this particular uh, movie and series. Uh, but it has a director attached. We talked about the fact that Disney Plus was going to be rebooting a lot of series. One of those is Home Alone, and they have a director attached, or I think one in very serious talks. So I, I think that we're going to get official notice about him actually signing on very soon, and that is Dan Mazur. Yes, the co-writer of Borat is going to be directing a Home Alone reboot. Um, once again... Oh, yeah, and also SNL writers are involved, uh, Mikey Day and Streeter Seidel. Um, Hush Parker will produce. Melissa McCarthy uh, was rumored at one point to be leading it, but she's not in in that. So anyway, uh, there's a lot of directions they could go. Um, of course, he also directed uh, – here's, here's the thing, though. This is going to probably – uh, stop a lot of people short, including you, Chase. Mazer also directed Dirty Grandpa, 
Uh, I didn't see that, so I can't speak to its uh, to its quality. Um, he also wrote Office Christmas Party. He executive produced The Dictator. Um, yeah, so I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens there. I you know I'm not one to say that Home Alone is is an untouchable masterpiece or classic or whatever. It's a fun movie. It's really good. Um, in fact, I like all three of the ones that were released in theaters. Yes, even the third one. Uh, I don't know if I want to see this. Um, I can tell you right now. So I I told Chase this. This is a very late breaking story. This last one we're we're about to get to. So I told Chase. I said. Here's this, you know, this is a this is a new piece of news because I saw it and I immediately saw red. And I told and I told Chase, I said, I'm gonna have some words about this, but maybe not for the reason that you're you're anticipating. So what am I talking about here? This was literally reported nine hours ago at the time that I made the um the uh the notes. I don't think that it had broken yet. So obviously maybe it had been announced, but I'm I told it totally passed me by. So Luckily, I was able to see this because I think that this is actually one of the worst ideas that Disney has had so far. So, (laughs) okay. Back in the 80s, there was a series on which I am apparently in the minority. That is Inspector Gadget. And, of course, this was an animated series about uh, sort of a mechanical spy who had all sorts of gadgets in him. In his body, literally in his body, right? So this has been, uh, I think, rebooted into a CG series for Netflix, but they're going to make another live-action movie. And the reason that I think this is is such a bad idea is, and this is probably, I I don't even know if Chase feels this way. I don't know if anybody in in our listenership is going to feel this way about it. But, okay, so... (laughs) I don't like Inspector Gadget as a character. I think he's one joke, uh, and that is he's a spy, and he's mechanical, and he has a bunch of gadgets. Also, I don't know if you remember it, Chase. Back in 1999, there was a movie that was made with Matthew Broderick, Rupert Everett as the villain. Uh, Of course, Broderick played Inspector Gadget himself. And it cost apparently $90 million dollars. I didn't know that until just now. Uh, it grossed 134, so it just barely turned a profit. And uh, now we don't know if this is for Disney Plus, but here's the problem. So in the 90s, there was sort of this this rush to make a bunch of previous properties into live action movies, sort of like what they're doing now, except with uh, you know 90s CGI and and practical effects and all, and all of that. So maybe not not up to the snuff of what they could have done now. Apparently they're trying it again. But there were there was a series, there was like a, a, a collection of these movies that were just really, 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 really bad. And for me, they included stuff like That Darn Cat, not a fan. Flubber, awful. I like 101 Dalmatians, but the second one, no good. And... Uh, the worst offender for me was was Inspector Gadget. Even then, I didn't like it. Now a lot of these other movies I've seen since, and you know wasn't a, wasn't a fan of some of them as an older person. 
um, than when I saw them when when I was like you know seven to ten years old. Um, you know, there's some good ones. Some of them that weren't really based on anything previous, like Homeward Bound and all of that, really good. But uh, maybe not the sequel so much. But that one was good. But some of these lower common denominator that treated that treated kids like they were idiots or that they had short attention spans. For me, Inspector Gadget was completely bereft of any sort of imagination. It was just it was just a lot of really bad CGI and annoying antics. And even as a ten year old, I didn't like it. And so yeah, sorry guys, but for me, Inspector Gadget, a movie, I'm not interested. I don't see how this fits into today's world of what kids like at all um there's a reason that the spy kids movies haven't really been made for eight years i feel like this is going to be something like that disney's answer to that i don't know maybe it could be good i don't know if i'm ever going to see it <laughs> honestly uh it depends on how big it is that particular week uh, you know i i definitely foresee us not talking about it on the show whenever it comes out i don't like this idea um, I think that, I think that this character is completely just out of date. There's no, there's no audience for this, but that's me. Uh, that might be my bias against the, <laughs> the 1999 movie. And don't get me started on the sequel because I watched the sequel. I think it was a direct to DVD thing and it probably showed on, on Disney at one point. I think I watched some of it and it was even worse. So yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not a fan. Uh, I, I, I hate the original I don't like the idea of updating him. So that's my two cents. Uh, Chase, take on all of this yourself, my friend. Yes. So uh, Inspector Gadget, um, that was a huge part of my childhood. Uh, Not for what you think, Joel, um, but uh, because I'll get to that in just a second. But the movie, I I saw that thing a million times. And it's not because I liked it. It's just, you know, I was a stupid kid. It was one of the VHS movies I bought. And I watched stuff like three or four times in a row. But, uh, yeah, it was very creepy, and it is horrific, uh, especially when uh, Inspector Matthew Broderick is going up against robotic Inspector Gadget Matthew Broderick. And, uh, yeah, oh, my por- gosh. Uh, porcelain veneers that he has in his mouth are absolutely terrifying. Oh, it's this stuff of <laughs> nightmares. I was I was scarred for life from that. And <laughs> I don't th- – I mean I don't think I ever saw it again. So – we're different that way. Maybe I saw it again. I, I don't remember, but again, it might have been on Disney. I, I don't know. I was completely dis, like undiscerning whenever I was <laughs> from 7 to 11. So even right. if I didn't like stuff, I would probably watch it more than once. I would well, never like, make that mistake again. But Yeah, I, I never saw like the animated cartoon because uh, that was like stuck in its own time. And then Disney decided to make a live-action movie. I don't know why. Uh, it's uh it's, it's the same logic as uh, when they made a live action gym and the holograms it's like who on earth grew up with this except for like 12 people <laughs> like it's just it's stupid and so right. inspector gadget was the same way i was like you're trying to appeal to kids about a cartoon that's like beyond their years it makes no sense and so i didn't really watch the the show i watched the movie several times but the reason why it was so important to me growing up is because um when I hung out with my friend when we were kids, uh, him and his mom, uh, rest in peace, uh, she, she passed away uh, last month. She would uh, <laughs> she would uh, take us to McDonald's, and we would get the, the pieces. Because back, at, back in that day when uh, they had the Happy Meals or whatever, they, would, they had a full Inspector Gadget like action figure that you could 
build and for each meal like they would put a piece in there like an arm or a leg or the head or you know the body or whatever and so we were like two or three pieces short and i remember we pulled up to the drive-thru one day and she straight up just said i don't want the happy meal can i just buy the toys please because we wouldn't stop complaining about it so we rolled up and they gave us all the the parts we needed and i still have it to this day i don't know where it's at um but that full action figure uh, full Inspector Gadget, everything I have uh, from McDonald's. I'm sure it's worth something. And it could probably pay off my student loans, but uh, I need to find it. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, that's why it was important to me. As far as bringing this back, it just goes back to what I just said. It's a thing stuck in its own time. Why on earth are you doing it in 2019? If it was already confusing enough to do it when Joel and I were uh, you know, not even teenagers yet, why on earth would you do it again? It's just, it's once again a thing that happened so long ago. It was fine for what it was. Just let it die with the cartoon, but we got to keep reviving it. So that makes no sense to me. I I feel like there's more products out there or franchises or characters or whatever that you could do in place of this because you're going to be wasting so much money on this. And who knows? It's for... Um, I don't know. It's for kids. And they, they might like it. Who, who knows, uh, Joel? Maybe kids are into this stuff nowadays. Uh, so speaking I, of, I, uh, yeah, uh, let's let's go ask a kid uh, around the corner. Hey, are you into Inspector Gadget? Who? And then we just walk away, and then they call the cops on us. Uh, so, uh, so Home Alone uh, for for the Disney Plus reboot and everything. You know, we talked about it. Uh, I'm kind of like with Joel. It's not like some untouched masterpiece, even though. Uh, it will always hold a special place in my heart. Uh, fun fact, it was the highest grossing movie uh, of my birth year, uh, good old Home Alone. Um, so I, I like that. It was either the highest grossing of the year or the highest grossing of the month. I forgot, but it, it, it was very uh, uh, prominent in culture uh, for the, for that year for sure. Um, and, of course, they did the sequel and everything. I've seen that movie countless times. Uh, times and uh, if they ever made uh, Macaulay Culkin grown up and they want to do like an adult version of him please do he's getting back into the spotlight now and I just I would love to I don't even know how it would work I just want to see it because I'm selfish Uh, but yeah I I love uh, the movies and but would Joe Pesci do it oh my god if you bring him out of retirement again (laughs) and they're just like could you do a home loan eight or whatever and he's just like F off, and then uh, he goes back into his uh, his home, and he, he would never. Just, he would just literally repeat the speech <laughs> from Goodfellas, the clown speech. Yeah, that's what, 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 what am I, a clown? Do you? <laughs> and there's like, no, Mister Pesci, you're not a clown. What am I, a clown? Uh, no. Uh, Get him and Daniel Stern, and oh and my god, I, maybe I would... you combine everyone. You have, know, and then Fritch Stewart, and if, also if, everybody if any, else. Joel, if anything. Because it'd be, it'd be impossible to do a show or a movie. I'm stretching there. However, if Will Ferrell and Adam McKay can convince Macaulay Culkin, Daniel Stern, and Joe Pesci to come back and do like a 10-minute Home Alone sketch for Funny or Die, I would lose it. I, that would be perfect. <laughs> like have them like elderly like robbers and like – Macaulay's like doing something at his day. I don't know what you could do. Uh, it, it just please make that happen. Uh, funny or die. I, I would. I would pay to see that. Um, even though your website's free, I would. I would pay for it. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, as far as the Dan Mazur thing goes, I, as soon as you said Dirty Grandpa, I started seeing black because my eyes were rolled back so far into my head, I, I, I saw the back <laughs> of my skull. Um, it, that movie is horrid. Like that, that is um, one of the worst theater experiences I have ever had. Um, all the other movies that you listed, terrible. I, I have no hope now. It, it's like it, it, if you wanted to reboot this thing, sure, go ahead. I'm getting Disney Plus. I'll, I'll check it out. You're gonna attach this guy to it. I, I'm gonna sign off of it uh, right away. So uh, I'm gonna take a hard pass on it. Um, that's all I gotta say about that. So as far as the uh, Spider-Man thing, when that news broke uh, that they were coming back to do a third one, I was like, "Thank you." And it, I, I know people are gonna sit there and go, "Why are you guys rooting for these two giant, very rich companies making more of these movies?" I just wanted—I honestly just wanted them to make one more and then end it, and then they could just kick Spider-Man out uh, of the MCU because. When you were giving us movies like Far From Home and you're setting up the story like that and you're leaving on these cliffhangers and stuff and then you're like, oh, no more. We're just we're going to shove everything to the side. It's like that's don't do that. <laughs> like I, I realize that it's a business, but you guys are also storytellers and don't leave a story hanging like that. So in terms of completing it and um, having Spider-Man and Peter Parker have his due in the MCU and kind of write his story off and have him do his own thing. That's perfect. Like let, let the third one be his final kind of installment connected to the MCU. Then he can break off and then he can be with venom and all that, whatever Sony wants to do with him. That's fine. Uh, Cause it's, it's their product. They can do whatever they want with it. But in terms of just finishing out his character and his arc for what we've seen so far, it makes perfect sense to do one more they were going to come back together at some point. We just didn't know when. It, it was a lot sooner than I thought, that's for sure. But I'm glad they came back. Uh, as far as like t- the whole Tom Holland thing, I don't think he was like a 100% direct influence. But having as many followers as he does, I'd say it helped a, a lot. Um, when you make a not an outcry on social media, but when you start telling your fans like oh thank you for your support i don't know what's going to happen and stuff they start you know fighting back they start replying and tweeting out stuff and you know it just gains so much traction that you can't just ignore it and so i don't think it was 100 percent um influential but i think it helped a a great deal and of course they were going to come back and do it anyways because they like money that's what they like they're a business it makes sense guys so they were going to come back and do it, uh, do it again, and they only have their contract out for one more. And one of the more important things with this contract is that they are making another movie together, and Disney can use uh, Spider-Man in one of their movies. I don't know where they're going to put him. I haven't really thought about that. If I had to guess... I would say uh, maybe Doctor Strange 2 and maybe uh, when they're going down this like rabbit hole of madness, maybe he sees like a Tony Stark vision or something. I think 
that would probably be the best bet. I just I really can't picture him in any other one. I can't see him in Thor: Love and Thunder. Um, Shane uh, Chi is their own movie, or sorry, uh, his own movie, The Eternals. It's their own movie. That's you, there's no reason to bring anyone else in. I just I can't see him in any other movie besides Doctor Strange too. Unless Joel, you have a different theory. I just. I mean, um, I could just see him coming, like popping in, maybe to one of the the shows or something. Maybe like uh, oh, I didn't Fal- think about the that, Falcon yeah. and the Winter Soldier, which is closer to the ground than anything else. That's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm just well. Uh, there, well, you make a good point Hawkeye. because uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier are uh, uh, it's a government based show. I mean, you could play with the whole like Washington Washington D.C. angle, and that's closer to New York than any other uh, Avengers. So, like, they, yeah, I guess you could um, do it. That. I didn't even think about that. But, um, yeah, uh, they were going to do this deal. I'm glad they're going to do at least one more to close this thing out, and then he can go off and, uh, I don't know, play with a Green Goblin in a backyard somewhere. I have no clue. I have no I have no idea what uh, Sony's uh, uh, vision is for these characters. They're just kind of going with the flow, but whatever. Um and then the last bit of news, Clerks 3, I'm excited. I've been waiting since 2000 and, what was it, 6 when Clerks yep. 2 came out. I've uh, been waiting all this time for them to um, kind of complete it and find these characters in an older state uh, than they were in Clerks 2 because they were already pretty old working in a fast food joint. So just seeing them again uh, at their age and just kind of going through their midlife crisis and dealing with customers and the vulgarity and stuff. It's just, you like hanging out with them because they're absolute boobs, taking, but taking certain work, taking certain words back. <laughs> I'm yeah. Just I, I, I'm going to take that word back. You watch it. Uh, that I can't, if, if you guys have ever seen Joel laugh, uh, or just heard his laugh, like it is like a witch's cackle. And so like when we were watching clerks too, I've never seen him react this way before. And I've seen plenty of movies in front of this kid he was like almost on the verge of crying when uh, the, that specific scene in Clerks Two came up with the "I'm going to take that certain name back." He was he couldn't breathe; like he yeah. almost died on the couch. It was the best. Uh, yeah, uh, finishing out uh, this kind of like awesome Clerks trilogy that he's got going on. It's like Joel said; it's not it's not the story's not important. It's just more these two guys going through life. They're very aloof with their activities. It's not like anything that's really exciting. It's just like you like hanging out with them. They get into themselves into some funny situations and stuff, and I, I like uh, uh, their characters. So, yeah, bring it back. Um, I, I think he said in that article that Clark's 3 was his very next one uh, after he gets done with uh, the Jay and Silent Bob reboot kind of press tour that he's doing right now and once that kind of airs, and, and he usually shoots pretty quickly, so right, right, and I think, yeah, and he, I think he's, he does. Uh, and Jay and Silent Bob reboot had so many stars in it to where like Clerks Three is gonna like maybe have a cameo or two. He can easily shoot that way faster than reboot. So uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I'm hoping you know, knock on wood, that if he can get started on pre pro until the end of the year maybe start production in the spring of next year and we get it by the fall of next year, I think that would be pretty pretty feasible. And I think he actually already has a script ready, so it's just pretty much up to you know his producing partner and whatever company is going to 
help him with this and stuff, whether it be his own or whatever, you know, the business logistics. But, um, yeah, I hope it comes out by next year. That'd be great. Uh, so that is my thoughts on the news this week. All right. Excellent. So let's go ahead and move on to our review. This is going to be the least controversial review of all time. Joel, can, can I – because you go first. Can I go ahead and set people up for them to just like kind of like sit there in sweat and anxiety? And I, I just want to say this. Knowing what Joel put on Facebook, it's not going to be a strong one, but we will have a slight civil war going on here. So I'm just going to go ahead and tee that up and let Joel do his thing go first. Then we'll go back to me. And then we'll discuss. Okay. Well, just know that I am right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you say that, and then I'm going second, and I'm just going to tear your whole argument down. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So this is our review of Joker. Um, <clears throat> this is the new movie from director Todd Phillips of the Hangover Trilogy, Road Trip. Stuff that is nothing like this movie, uh, <laughs> basically. Uh, because this is a very dark psycho thriller starring Joaquin Phoenix as Arthur Fleck. Um, he is a uh, a citizen of Gotham in what appears to be the 1970s, at least is modeled after the 1970s uh, New York. Um, Arthur is a very, very curious individual. Um, he has a lot of problems. One of the chief problems that he has is that he has an uncontrollable laugh, and that laugh is actually the, re- the result of a condition um, that causes him to laugh at inter- inopportune moments. Basically, whatever he feels, if it's stressful and negative, he will laugh. So it's the opposite of what he's feeling at that moment. In fact, it's not even a laugh. It's really kind of just a uh, some sort of deranged cackle at the end of which – He's literally kind of hiccuping and swallowing bile. It's it's a weird little like I, I just want people to know, like I actually tried to emulate the, the laugh <laughs> on my way home from the theater and you have to I'm not even joking, you have to suck in air and blow it out at the same time and it, it hurts. Like it hurts. I can't believe I, like Joaquin actually probably did multiple takes of that and probably destroyed his uh, throat. Yeah, I, I have to imagine that he drank a lot of water at the end of the day. Um so the story here is fairly is fairly straightforward. So um, Arthur is fired from his job. He he is a party clown um, because he brings he's he's had a gun now because of uh, being attacked by some people, and uh, he's decided that he's going to get a gun and he brings that gun wherever he goes, including into the cancer wing of a children's hospital. Um, and then he's fired. So the problem is that he is very much economically challenged. He lives with his mother, played by Frances Conroy, in this rundown apartment. Uh, and yeah, so down the hall is a pretty woman named, uh, Sophie, played by Zazie Beetz. He's convinced that she has, uh, deep feelings for him. And meanwhile, he's been inspired by watching a talk show host named Murray Franklin, played by... Robert De Niro and basically what amounts to a cameo, uh, not as much of De Niro as you might think. Anyway, and then a viral video breaks out of his attempt uh, to pursue stand-up comedy. That's what he wants to do. Um, he wants to entertain people. He believes that he has been put on the earth 
to entertain and to make people laugh, and he wants to pursue stand-up comedy in that regard. And it doesn't really go well, um, and that is basically the last draw for him. So that's pretty much the story of this movie. There's really not much to it, narratively speaking, uh, although there is a lot to this movie uh, thematically. So, um, all right, to get into my thoughts here, okay. There is there's a belief among philosophical systems that if if good, if the concept of good does not exist, then the concept of evil does not exist either because evil is the opposite Oh man. Oh man, right right as he was about to like tee up into his uh, explanation uh, the wonderful internet decided to kick him off because they realized that um, uh, I, I am correct, and so the internet gods they they smit Joel. Uh, is that is that the correct word? Smitten. They smited Joel uh, with the the internet power to shut him off because they realized that I'm going to win this argument and it's going to be glorious. Uh, I, I'm just joking. Uh, so. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and uh, end this call here, and I'm going to go ahead and call him again. Fun stuff. Don't you guys just love internet connections? Hello? Uh, hello. Um, so I was yes. definitely not <laughs> telling our listeners that uh, the internet gods uh, cut you I off. Heard, and... I heard everything you said. Oh, whoops. Okay. Uh, so uh, <laughs> it, it, anyways, uh, yeah, um, they didn't hear any you. of that. They they didn't hear any of that. Um, so anyways, uh, go ahead and tee up your argument. Uh, you were talking about the philosophical good and evil. Okay. So, yeah. So there's a belief among philosophical systems that there that the concept of good – I'm sorry. The concept of evil cannot exist if the concept of good does not exist, right? Sort of like how dark is technically the absence of light. It's still It's still a concept within the context of talking about it. Uh, from the perspective of there being light, right? So similarly, I feel that if there is no Batman, then there really is no Joker. That's something that this movie contends with. And by that, what I mean is not that the Batman does not exist in this story. I'll just say that basically um, in the background of this narrative – uh, the Wayne, Inter- Wayne Enterprises is involved, and we do see its eventual heir, Bruce, as a young boy, completely unaware of how his life is going to change pretty soon. And that means both of his parents are still alive, and so we do see him, but we don't see Batman. We don't see the hero, and so we don't see the context in which the Joker is interesting, and that's something that this movie kind of struggles with for me. So, okay. To kind of get the big elephant in the room out of the way, uh, I'm going to talk about Joaquin Phoenix's performance, which is absolutely terrifying. Uh, so the way that Phoenix plays this role is actually very <clears throat> um, – actually very – uh, very reserved in a way that I wasn't anticipating. Now, the physicality of it is extremely 
over the top. And I don't mean over the top in a bad way. But it's very theatrical. He is kind of a deranged man. Um, he does love to to dance in the middle of a room. The way he runs is very distinctive, uh, very distinctive looking um, in terms of the fact that he really uses his legs in a very clownish way. Whenever he's running after somebody or something, um, he he wags his arms the entire the entire way, uh, very very theatrically. He throws his head back. It's not the run of a person who runs often, um, who knows about things like regular running stance. Um, so there's a very physical way in which he's playing this role, and you can also see. Uh, our friend Mark pointed this out. You can also see the bones kind of almost protruding from the skin whenever he's leaning over or hunching over, even through his clothing. You can see the bones kind of almost protruding from the skin. Uh, Phoenix lost 52, pl- 52 pounds to play this role from whenever weight he was at uh, for his last performance. And you can tell. Um, it is a very He's very thin, very skeletal. And... You know, the way that he dominates the screen with this performance, particularly in the opening moments um, where he's practicing his clownish routine, practicing his smile in front of the camera, uh, stretching the corners of his smile to create a, a fake one, the way that it drops whenever he uh, releases pressure and it falls into despair, the way he, uh, the way he builds any particular scene, especially in the third act, from this place of reserved kind of demo- almost demonic calm to completely exploding is absolutely fascinating in every way. And it's a great performance. I would say, you know, it's kind of unfair to compare the two because they're completely different readings of the character, but just in terms of the performance detail, I would say that this is just a hair below Heath Ledger's uh, reading of the character in the dark Knight. I think it's that good. And certainly if he's going to be nominated for, an Academy Award, potentially, possibly win. It'd be a worthy win. I don't know if he's my per- my personal choice right now, but certainly would be a worthy win. Uh, it's a it's a role that he commits to, and he does a fantastic job of it. And if this if a movie were just its performance, then obviously this would be an extremely high rate high rating <laughs> that I'm giving the movie. Unfortunately, there's a bunch of other stuff to con- to deal with here. And I think that the screenplay by Todd Phillips and Scott Silver um, is very thin. I don't think that this is a movie that earns the performance um, that it that it has at its center. So here's here's where my problems come in. This movie spends a lot of time really, 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 really trying to psychoanalyze the Joker, and the problem is, I think that the Joker, any way you slice him, is not going to be interesting once you get to the root of what or who he is. And for me, every attempt to do that here kind of comes up with diminishing returns. Um, uh, we're not going to have a spoiler section in this review. I wish that we were. I kind of thought about it briefly, but I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I want to reveal everything, but. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna refer to kind of vaguely 
a big gigantic revelation that happens halfway through this movie. Um, but I'm not going to explicitly state it. I'm going to, I'm going to leave that as a, uh, as a surprise for anybody who wants to see it. But I will say that that, that that twist and also just the general attempt by Phillips and Silver to psychoanalyze the character to place a specific, maybe political or personal, um, uh, set of stakes in, into finding out what makes this guy tick removes the the sense of threat from this character. And for me, the way Joker works is the is because of the fact that we don't know who he is. So to to give him any sort of origin is to undermine the the whole purpose of the character. Now, Here's an interesting thing, though, and this is this is an argument I've seen. I actually just before we started recording, had an argument with somebody who said this, um, or back and forth. It wasn't an argument, but it was a back and forth, and and so there is a sense by the end of this that the origin story of this particular version of the Joker is kind of in the fact that there is no purpose. Um, to to his origin, but the problem is that even the lack of purpose gives him an origin. So for me, walking into this movie, my fear that I that I was talking about whenever this project was announced actually was the fact that um that you would be ascribing uh, ascribing a, an origin story to a character who doesn't really deserve one. If you separate the Joker from the character of the Batman, as is Arch Nemesis, you're not really doing the character any favors. And so that's the big, gigantic, gaping hole of a problem with this screenplay for me, is that it tries to do that, and I don't know if it's if the movie is quite equipped to deal with this particular version of the character. Either he's extremely mentally ill, and that certainly seems to be the case here, given Phoenix's reading of the character, or he has a specific place in the DC Comics narrative of the Joker, uh, particularly as it as it um, uh, as it, you know um, as it is related to to Bruce Wayne and and just generally the Wayne Enterprises and Gotham City. And I think that in both cases, I think that the movie falls short. Um, obviously, I can't really talk about the whole thing with Wayne Enterprises that involves the huge twist. But let's just say that it's absolutely ludicrous. doesn't make any sense as it goes along. There's a couple of different twists, actually, and neither of them really make any sense. One of them's a cheat. This, the other one's a, a just an extra, cheat, a, a, an extra cheat layer on top of that cheat. doesn't make any sense. But – the general flavor of him being mentally ill gives the movie just a really kind of skeezy feel to me that goes beyond just this is a crime drama. Um, obviously, you know, uh, Phillips and, and Phoenix have, sta- have stated that movies like The King of Comedy and Taxi Driver are, were big influences here. Um, I haven't seen The King of Comedy. I can't speak to that. I, I meant to catch up with it before this, but I didn't have time. I couldn't find it. Um, I think that there's a, com- a copy on YouTube, but I couldn't find it last time I looked, so it might have been taken down. Anyway, um, t- 
Taxi Driver, though, I guess is an okay comparison, but I think that that movie had a lot more to say about Travis Bickle that was insightful than this movie has to say about Arthur Fleck that's insightful. And and in this case, I think it's so tied up, especially in the last act, with tying this character into a specific set of narrative circumstances that it really just undermines the the urgency surrounding the character. And in the broader the broader scope of just looking at him as a mentally mentally ill character, I think that it just plays the broad strokes through through Phoenix's performance. It doesn't really back that up in the narrative. Um, there's a lot of deranged fantasy sequences. There's a lot of violence whenever he explodes. Um, very bloody violence too. Um, maybe not as bloody as Taxi Driver ends up being, but pretty bloody. And for me, you know, not to court like uh, very delightful con- comments from people, but for me, this movie falls short of providing a a worthy vehicle for the Phoenix performance that we're given. And it's a great again, it's a great performance. I don't want to I don't want to downplay that at all. Um, and I think that some of the other actors here are good too. You know, Robert De Niro is good in his in his limited screen time. Um, a lot of the third act surrounds his character and uh the uh he gets and and Arthur gets basically a, a chance to appear on his talk show and anyway insane stuff happens I'll just say and it's a good it's a good uh it's a good third act I will say it's a good it's a good urgent third act um you know Zazie Beats does what she can I think that Francis Conroy is is really good um there's a couple of really cool appearances from uh, Bill Camp and Shay Wiggum as a as a couple of um, detectives um, and that takes a, that takes a turn that I didn't expect. So anyway, for me, I felt by the end, I felt hollow. I felt as if, and, and I, and I didn't just feel hollow just because it's, it's a very disturbing experience, uh, disturbing experiences in theaters and, and movies that center around disturbing characters like taxi driver can often you end with a huge emotional release, and that's that's what that movie did. But um, and many many other types of movies like this have done. This movie for me was not one of those movies. I felt like it was it was a lot of really interesting sequences and powerful sequences in search of a movie that that made sense of them. And I don't think that this movie quite did that. So for me, uh, it was quite the letdown. I can't recommend Joker. I'm giving it a C. Um, so yeah, that is, that is my take on Joker. I'm, I apologize to, I guess, all of the, the people, uh, who, who, well, maybe I don't apologize to all of the people who are, who are going to take that way too personally. Um, we can also always talk about the, the heavy controversy surrounding the movie and how ludicrous it is. But, um, you know, a movie is a movie. I sat down, I watched it, you know, it doesn't follow any, any established DC comics line. As far as I know, um, the, I don't, I don't think that the big twist that happens is in any of the, the comics. So it doesn't follow that, but, and it's definitely not part of the DCEU because of what Phillips was saying about how, uh, you know, Phoenix's Joker is never going to meet Robert Pattinson's Batman. So it's, it's a completely, it's its own thing. 
but uh, for me, it just didn't really work. And um, yeah, so I'm sad to say a C for me. All right. It's not as bad as I thought you were going to rip it into uh, because there is a difference between a movie being atrocious and this movie that when you see people online talk about it in such just really harsh ways, like it makes it seem like it's one of the worst things to ever uh, grace the screen. Uh, so that's why I said slight civil war that we're going to have here. Now, Joel and I haven't really addressed the uh, bigger elephant in the room, which is, you know, the effect that this movie has had up until its release with, you know, the whole quote-unquote military warning of, you know, people online chattering that they're going to, you know, do stuff to theaters if this movie plays. And, of course, uh, all the comments from... Todd Phillips about comedy and you know Joaquin Phoenix uh, saying some choice words. It's like, man, it feels like this movie's been out for 10 years and we're uh, celebrating its 10th anniversary and not its opening weekend release. It is exhausting. Um, so there was a lot of stuff going into this one. And I know a lot of people straight up will just not see it because of Todd Phillips. Guys, I, I don't. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I get it. There's people like Joel out there and people that just do not like his movies. It's, it is what it is. Um, I still think you should give any movie a shot regardless of the director. And, you know, I have problems with that sometimes and I, I try to give everything a shot. Um, but, uh, I know a lot of people are just not going to see this because his name is attached to it. Um, but this is also speaking from a person that, you know, enjoys uh, most of the movies that he has made. And I've, I've seen the turn that he has made in his career, starting with War Dogs, way back in the day in 2015, where uh, when he made that, I realized that he's going to make his movies differently from now on. He's not going to make full-on uh, raunchy comedies or these, you know... Uh, kind of lower budget comedies that he's used to working with, he's going to dive into more drama thrillers and have comedy bits sprinkled out, but it's going to be more like dark comedy, kind of these real life scenario comedies, uh, comedic moments and not, you know, uh, like outlandish uh, stuff that, you know, he does sometimes. So I like the, you know, kind of uh, uh, direction he was taking with his career. So now we've led up to this. Joker. How is it? Because what it boils down to is people seeing the movie and forming their own opinion for themselves and not just going off of all the internet chatter with people they're complaining about when they haven't even seen it. I wrestled with this movie quite a bit ever since we saw it last night. And I wrestle with it in the sense of this. I like this movie, but I'm also frustrated with it. And I'm going to try to do my best to explain myself because it all boils down to um, the screenplay, like Joel's issues, and kind of how Phillips portrayed um, the actual story and some of the uh, thematic weight to this. That's where the main kind of issues lie, and that's where you're going to hear a lot of people um, kind of talk about, and that's kind of like where mine is too. 
to get some of the the good stuff out of the way uh, because there is a lot of great stuff in this movie. And so what I was saying earlier with the whole like atrocity thing, a lot of people are just tearing in this movie just to tear into it. That's irresponsible as a film critic, and you're just flat out. I, I don't know like what kind of like hatred you have. Um, but you cannot seriously look at this movie and say every single uh, checkbox in this movie fails because it does not. Um, it, it's like when we reviewed The Goldfinch a couple weeks ago. Besides the cinematography and maybe the production design, everything else was bad. Like very, very, very bad. And so that's why it got the rating it deserved. The difference is this has, I'd say like, 75% of, like, you know, the stuff that uh, uh, that are, each department is made of, of that go into making a film, I would say hits on all, uh, hits on about 75% of uh, the, those check marks. It just, it there's a lot of great stuff to appreciate about this movie. It may not work all, uh, all, all the time, but... You still have to acknowledge it. I just think that would be irresponsible if you just you saw this and you're like everything about it's bad because it, I'm telling you right now that's simply not the case. Will this movie divide people? Absolutely, because I've seen people in our uh, film circle, whether it be personal friends we know or critics I follow in the Dallas area. There's people loving this thing, using the M word, uh, and I don't like using it unless it is warranted. But I've heard the word masterpiece thrown around. I've heard this is one of the best movies of the year. It's like, and then you have, you know, people like Joel that are lukewarm on it. You have people that are kind of liking it. You have people that just flat out don't like it. I mean, this thing is, I I haven't seen this wide of a range of, uh, of you know, ratings on any movie this year. Like, th- this is the one so far that has garnered this much response. So, um. Let's let's break this down. So uh, a few things to uh, mention, and let's go ahead and just start with the obvious. Joaquin Phoenix is absolutely incredible in this movie. He is one of the best actors that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime in my almost 30 short years on this earth. Um, is it his best performance? Not by a long shot. If you were to ask me personally, uh, my favorite is still The Master uh, that is on a whole different level, and you know he got to be with Philip Seymour Hoffman in that movie. Um, but anytime when he, when he works with PTA, it's just it's gold. However, this this is up there for sure because it it is different than anything else he's ever done, and he is still he's still an actor that commands the screen. He uh, he he dives into these characters. He does not let go, and he really really uh, immerses himself into it. And it's actually quite scary at sometimes on how far he gets into these characters. Um, and once again, he loves hurting himself because <laughs> there's several shots of him uh, banging his head on uh, different things. But, um, but that, that that's just what he does. That's when you hire Joaquin Phoenix to do any movie, you expect him to commit 1000% out of a hundred because that's just what he does. He brings this kind of, magnetic energy to this movie where he is a character that is shy. He doesn't really know how to communicate with people um, in the outside world. And so he's, he's this guy that's kind of socially awkward, but Joaquin Phoenix brings that extra flavor to it where 
you just can't take your eyes off of him. And at the beginning of the movie, he portrays this character as sympathetic. I mean, he gets beat up by people for no apparent reason because kids are just being a-holes and, you know, uh, he's just taking care of his mom and all that stuff. And then he eventually, uh, uh, because of circumstances, I won't say what, to where he dives into this madness and he can't get out of it and he goes about things the wrong way and we like him at a certain point as an audience member but then he goes off the deep end and he's going about things incorrectly and we have to sit there and go wow you are now a a, a person that i hate and you've taken a turn for the worst but that is once again a power to his acting uh showing that transformation with his character and having us actually like him at the beginning and really despising him towards the end it's just like it's all phoenix right there it's a very physical role like joel uh mentioned you know to the bones protruding out of his body because he lost a lot of weight for the role and um it's very uh it's very freakish looking when he's like dancing very slowly in his living room and like his bones are popping out and like um his arms are just kind of you know, floating in the air. It's just, it's, it's once again, just magnetic stuff. And then when he gets into the more, um, deranged aspects of his character, it is bone chilling. Like he, he will turn on a dime, um, just like that. And that's what are, are, are all the showstopper moments, uh, in the movie. I, I remember when we were seeing in the, uh, the- theater, there were several uh, kind of shocking moments, uh, particularly the violence that he causes that just caught everyone off guard. And you could feel the the tension in the room. You could cut it with a knife, and I, I love that uh, when, when surprises happen in a movie like that. But he's terrifying. Um, and when he puts the makeup on, it's just even it's even worse. Like you just you don't want to look at, at him in his eyes. Like it's just it, he will crush your soul just from staring at you. Um, and then the uh, last thing I want to comment on with uh, his performance is the laugh. It, it, it is a laugh that when you see, uh, especially in Joel and I's lifetime uh, in particular, when you see like Jack Nicholson or uh, Heath Ledger and you hear their laughs, or even Mark Hamill when he does it in the uh, in animated form, they're very distinct. And you're like, okay, like we know what the Joker laugh is going to be, but like, this is different because he has a medical condition. It is it's uh it's like a form of Tourette's where he sits there and he just laughs uncontrollably and he has to get people a medical card to let let them know what's up so they're not freaked out. And it's the type of laugh, like I said, that it, it it's an exhale and inhale at the, the same time and uh it it hurts the throat. It it feels like pain. It doesn't feel it doesn't feel good at all. It feels like there there's a piece of him dying each time he does that and you can definitely tell that Joaquin Phoenix as an actor does not like doing it cuz it it looks painful and then uh, Arthur as a character it, it it's a thing that he can't control um but I also noticed like towards the end of the movie when he goes full on Joker he lets that laugh control him and I I thought that was uh kind of cool where he was trying to suppress it and kind of hide it. And then that thing just kind of took over his body and was just like, nah, you're going to be the Joker fam. Uh, we're going to make you laugh now. Um, so yeah, Joaquin Phoenix, great stuff. And if he is nominated, even wins it, I wouldn't be upset. Uh, that is a 
Definitely a warranted nomination for sure. Will he win? I don't know. I haven't seen the rest of the movies out this year. I mean, we could be looking at a scenario where Joaquin Phoenix and Adam Sandler are the two uh, head-to-head people for best actor and what a world we would live in. But, um, yeah, uh, I, I would I wouldn't be surprised if he was nominated. So, the cinematography in this movie is uh, is gorgeous. Um, a lot of uh, Death of Field um, that uh, Phillips likes to play with in this one. And, and this is the way his movies have always looked. Always have that kind of rich uh, color palette. Uh, really depth of field looks uh, to his film where characters are in the forefront. They're clearly in focus and everything else behind them is out of focus. That's kind of a technique he's always used. But I think it applies very well to this movie because we have a character that is isolated from the world, a character that that feels lonely from uh, everyone that he interacts with, and having him in focus and the world outside of him out of focus is just another uh, visual representation of his character, and that makes total sense to me, and... uh, and I just thought it just looked all all um, fantastic, and you know there's a lot of uh, great production design and costuming considering the the decade that they're in, you know, and the cinematography also makes New York look uh, dirty and sweaty and just a really gross place to live. I mean, there's a a plot point where like rats are uh, infestating the the city because the the trash hasn't been picked been picked up, and you can feel that you can feel the griminess. Uh, from the city, so it's a really lived-in world for sure, and uh, I thought the the cinematography reflected that. The score: a lot of people are talking about the score, and the score is actually really well done. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that is really kind of sweeping, a lot of stuff that's really hopeful, a lot of stuff that's eerie, a lot of stuff that's haunting. It's a really kind of well-rounded score that. Um, uh, complements the scenes that they're in uh, and also kind of play out like a soundtrack in Arthur's head uh, and what he's kind of thinking and feeling in the scenes that he's in. My issue with uh, some of the score is that they're very awkwardly like introduced in the scenes sometimes where uh, Todd Phillips will have a scene kind of play out and then the music will just like automatically just blast in your ears. And I'm like, that doesn't work that way like it just it it feels really awkward and really jarring um you need to have a better transition into the those pieces because these are uh good musical accompaniments so uh that would be my only issue with that uh what else was gonna mention okay uh some of the other actors uh like you know joel brob zazzy beats mark maron's in it for like 30 seconds uh i don't know why he was in it uh but i guess you gotta pay the bills right um Robert De Niro yeah he's good for what he is it's just I was watching another review and they described this perfectly because uh, Joaquin Phoenix is in literally every single shot of this movie he is the main focus absolutely I just I take this movie as like he's going throughout life and we're kind of seeing other people interact with him and then kind of going away it just how life is and so I didn't really mind too much that some of the uh, actors and actresses barely had any screen time. It was kind of like, it is what it is. Uh, I, I just, I, th- we're focusing on Arthur. It's his life. He goes in and out of other people's lives, uh, you know, and that's just how it is. And so I, I was willing to accept it. But I will admit that some of them, 
you didn't have to get Zazzy Beach. You didn't have to get Mark Marin. It's like these these are respected people. Like give them a little bit more to do if you're going to hire these people. But uh, it is what it is. So here's where it boils down to uh, with probably most people's problems with this movie. And it seems like what you heard from Joel, it's his you know issues. It's it's the screenplay and how Phillips approaches it, how he portrays. You know, mental illness, government corruption, um, society and how uh, people are, are – um, uh, their attitudes are towards each, towards each other. It's just – there's a lot of stuff that they try to compact into this thing. And I will say that while I appreciate this very bold and deranged movie that they were able to create – because let's face it. We live in a time where this movie was actually greenlit and made because when you watch this thing in full and you stand up and you leave and you go, I cannot believe that Warner Brothers made an R-rated Joker film and it looked and sounded like this. Regardless of what you think of it, it is ballsy. Um, so I appreciate the kind of like bold approach that Phillips made and uh, really took Joaquin to that place to really kind of emphasize what him and Silver put on the page. But I think Joel nailed it on the head, and this is where I was kind of conflicted on on my drive home, is that Joaquin Phoenix is at an 11 out of 10 the whole time. And he makes this movie. He is the driving force behind it. He's the one that elevates this material and makes it, worth a damn the problem is Phillips and Silver pack so much into this script that first of all it, it just kind of skims the surface on all of it it doesn't really kind of dive into anything it's just if this is going to be a character a character study or a, a psychoanalyst uh, a, a, of a, a psychoanalysis excuse me of a character you got to go for it. You got to just, you got to dive deep into all these things, whether it be mental illness or the corruption. It just felt like the whole time they skid the surface on everything and they just wanted to skate by with that. And when you have Phoenix making the character more than it is, making the story more than it is, making the scenes more than they are, it doesn't match well with your directing. And so you're, you're dealing with an actor that's going to run wild and run at an 11 out of 10, like I said, and you're just kind of coasting on a seven, it doesn't translate well. And the, the other thing is that, uh, Oh, I lost my train of thought. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh my God. I, uh, I'll, I'll come back to it. Um, but the thing is with like with like Phillips is that he's he's throwing these stuff throwing these things out on screen and he's saying like oh these things are important society mental illness corruption these things are all important oh that's what I was gonna say he throws it out there and says and says it's important I I I think Joel kind of alluded to this and I don't know if a lot of people have felt this but. Even though this thing was jam-packed with information and story beats and all that, I felt cold. Like, 
I felt cold the entire time. Now, Joel brought up a great point in saying that when you watch watch Taxi Driver, it's a very it's a very interesting experience because if you watch this uh, Taxi Driver and you are not someone with PTSD or you know someone that's on a mental breakdown, you can't really relate to it, and you're watching this kind of person go into a, a descent of madness, and you have this kind of like release at the very end of that movie. I mean, the third act of Joker is pretty well handled for the most part, but most of my experience with this movie is just kind of numb. And I'm like, is it supposed to be this way? And then when it ends, you're like, there's so many great things about this, but was the execution there? Like, it it was a very strange first uh, reaction uh, walking out of this thing. I just, I, I felt emotionally numb and for a, a movie that's like basically screaming at you all of its things i don't think numb is what phyllis was going for so I, yeah i i just it was a very it was a very weird experience for me and uh I, I don't think it really works on that front i appreciate it um and there was some interesting um things that were brought up and some interesting lines of dialogue that walking phoenix had in particular about you know, some of the themes that they were uh, portraying. I just, I uh, feeling neutral on it should not be the case. And I agree with Joel. The whole um, in uh, kind of interweaving of the Waynes and kind of that aspect, I didn't believe at all. It's just, I felt like this was um, a story that could have really not mentioned any of that and just, basically said Gotham and like a news coverage story very quickly and just be done with it. Um, the Wayne kind of subplot kind of took me out of, out of it a little bit. I didn't really feel it to be believable in this kind of like pseudo reality fantasy, um, you know, kind of grounded reality, but it, you know, it's fantasy. I just didn't feel like the Waynes were portrayed well. And uh, considering the type of characters that they wrote them as definitely not believable. So I was a little mixed on that, but I think I've decided to go with that. Um, and then I kind of agree with Joel with the whole, um, the, the mystery of his character finding out some of the stuff in the middle of the, the film and kind of takes away the, the mystery and the bite of his character. But, uh, it didn't bother me that much. I was actually more bothered with the Wayne stuff. Um, but yeah, it's just it, it was it was really weird. So I think my overall experience, um, I will say that I like it, and I feel like if I go back and watch it a whole lot more, maybe I will appreciate it a little bit more, pick up on certain things, maybe excuse some of the the negatives that I have. Who knows what I'm gonna feel like uh, when I do a rewatch on this thing? But I will say, finally coming to a conclusion that I like it. And I'm very conflicted on whether I want to give it like a B, B plus, or B minus because there, there's some directing and story issues there for sure. But the acting and like everything else is pretty up there. I think I'm just going to go – I'll go in the middle. I'll go with the B right now and just say I like it and uh, those, were, those were my reasons why. So, uh, Joel, did you expect – that I mean, because if you think about it, it's actually not that much higher than yours. Uh, but because I've seen people on this, uh, you know, 
Twitter and Facebook, like they're throwing out like the M word with this thing. Are you uh, are you shocked I, with that? I I am, and I'm and I'm just you know equally as shocked as uh, at, at hearing the whole you know it's a complete waste of time because for me uh, the Phoenix performance you know separates it from that <laughs> extreme. Um, the whole you know bringing out the M word to describe it is is nonsense to me. If you uh, at least to me, if you watch this movie and and with everything that it that it offers, the clear problems, the structural and and story problems, for me, yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of baffling. But uh, yeah, it's possible to be in the middle on this folk on this movie, folks. And you know, we're sort of near each other in the mail in the middle uh, overall. So anyway, certainly a very interesting movie. And I will say. I probably should have gotten into it, but the the technical aspects are on are on point. I, the movie looks great. It's Lawrence Sher who uh, uh, shot the movie. He also shot Godzilla, King of the Monsters this year, which you know pretty good year. And I think he shot all of the Hangover movies for Phillips, and or at least one of them. Um, and the score uh, is from the composer. It's a female composer, which is which is fun. Hildur uh, Gudnatsatir, I think I can't say it, uh, but she scored the chernobyl series which i've heard has a really great score so yeah i mean yeah i i have no issue looks, with looks her, and sounds great <laughs> yeah i have no issue with her score it was the uh, it was the usage of her pieces in the in where they dropped in the transitions because some I of them were like it was, really abrupt. it was intentionally i think it was intentionally disconcerting to sort of match the movie um and i thought that it was pretty striking because of that um but again these are surface things it's right and those only go so far for me. I think that it it doesn't really work uh, when you get into the nuts and bolts. But yeah. So anyway, should be an interesting. It's certainly an interesting viewing. Hey, I wouldn't. I wouldn't at all dismiss the movie. No, regardless um, of what we say, even if like Joel and I flat out hate it, I, I want them to continue to make more stuff like this. Like this right, thing, right. I yeah. never would have thought in a million years they would go down this route. And the fact that they they went for it. And I I appreciate that. I will never take that away from them. So if Warner Brothers, if you want to keep throwing out stuff like this, uh, or you know what what Fox did with like Logan and stuff, please, 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 just keep throwing it at the dartboard. There, some of them will stick, some of them may not. But I I want to I want to see more uh, risk taking with this because as much as I like this genre. Uh, I I enjoy my MCU and I enjoy that storyline and it's very consistent on that front. But I like the fact that like Warner Brothers or like Fox or whomever will take these kind of like one shot risk and see if it works. And um, yeah, Joel, what a time to be alive! <laughs> right, that's life. I'm kidding. Okay. Uh- <laughs> Or should I say should I should I make a we live in society joke? I I, I don't know. Oh, the, the, um, good, the good old film bros on Twitter. <laughs> that is one of the most tired jokes in the past forty eight hours. Uh, yep, there have been a lot of them too. Um, it's great. Okay, uh, so yeah, that's that's it. Definitely uh, definitely check out Joker. Let us know what you thought. Be respectful, please, for the love of God. Um, <laughs> And that takes us into what is next week's episode. Since I'm not going to be here for it, I will let 
Chase tell you what it is. Chase, what are you doing next week? Yes, so uh, next week I will be by myself going old school back in the days where I had, I had to literally <laughs> speak up to the microphone on my computer and it looked like I was making out with my desktop. Uh, yes, that is how I first started. Uh, now I have a microphone and it's a tad more professional. But I will be by myself like the old school days. It will just be uh, good old me. Um, uh, Joel, when are you uh, leaving again? What day? So I am leaving Sunday morning. Uh, it's going right. to be an interesting experience because I closed the night before. And so I, I will probably be at work until after midnight. And then I get up and we're leaving by 6 a.m. So so uh, I, I'm going to cry now because I wanted to ask Joel if he could do the notes for me because I'm lazy. But it looks like I'm going to have to do research on my own. Uh, and, and plus yeah. Joel's better at it than I am. So that's why I asked. Uh, so now that I know that, now I will definitely cry in the corner. Um but that's why I, I that's why I used to do uh, when I crafted the show by myself. I would just um, uh, I forgot who I followed, but I would just like come up with the, the the news and the trailers and stuff, and it was it was exhausting. So I'm glad we split the workload. But uh, I will um, cry tears of sadness that I got to do the whole thing. But uh, yeah, so uh, next week will be Gemini Man. I might have like a bonus review or something. Maybe like I said, the Netflix film or whatever. Just a pad out the episode a little longer i i could do two hours by myself but guys i'm getting older it's it's hard to do that i mean uh, hey the breaking bad movie's coming on uh, coming ooh, up so that, you could true. do that yeah i, I, I could mean. i could squeeze uh, el camino so uh uh check that out uh and maybe i'll review it but yeah jim and i man will be the main focus and i will be by myself so it should be a lot of fun for episode 295 joseph until we meet again in two weeks from now where can the people find you online? Uh, you can find my writing on uh, joelonfilm.com. This week I've you know, got a review of Joker, of course, coming tomorrow morning as of this recording. Um, I also have a review of Judy, which I saw earlier this week, and I like that. Uh, really fantastic Renee Zellweger performance. Kind of a familiar biopic, but it works because of her. There's um, – Anyway, yeah, really good, and a bunch of ten worst contenders that I that I caught up with, including my second zero star review of the year. You'll have to find out what that is, but uh, but yeah, some pretty bad ones. <laughs> and then uh, let's see, you can find some. You can find our uh, um, uh, shared review of uh, of Marriage Story on uh, Dallas movie screenings. If you want to read that. Uh, if not, then just wait until December because we're going to be talking about that in a whole episode. And uh, so, yeah, that. And then you can follow me on Twitter, Real Joel Copeland. Follow me on Letterbox. Just search my name. Um, and there you go. So that's where I am. Yes. And if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Real Chase Lee. If you guys want to follow the podcast on Twitter, it's at Real Me and Podcast. And Joel's correct. If you want to stay. Just away a and clear from our marriage story reviews, then you got to hold out for two months because that is when we're doing <laughs> that episode. Uh, but I'm telling you, it will be worth it. So please, please, please uh, visit our stuff, but hold out and do not read any thought or even watch my review on YouTube. Just stay away from it. You guys will uh, enjoy the episode in a couple months. But yes, and then for this podcast in particular, if uh, you're listening to on CastBox, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, uh, Overcast, uh, I, I don't know where else this thing streams. But um, if you guys could uh, spread this around and let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to, 
we would really appreciate it. If you're a returning listener, you know, uh, thank you once again, and we will see you next week. If you were new and you decided to take a chance on us, hopefully you will come back. And we hope uh, that you enjoyed your experience on Real Man, Colin, and Movie Podcast. I am Chase. That is Joel over there. This has been episode 294. Next week, 295. We will see you guys then, or in this case, I will see you then. And Joel will see you in two weeks. Okay, bye. Bye.